Good morning. Our reading today is from 1 Samuel chapter 24. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My Lord and the King! When, he, when Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, Why do you listen to men when they say, David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord, because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but I did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me. May the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? Who are you pursuing? A dead dog? A flea? May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. When David finished saying this, Saul asked, is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you've treated me today. I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not kill off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. So David gave his oath to Saul. Then Saul returned home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold.
Thank you, Barry, and uh, our musicians for leading us. We're working on a, our way through a series at the moment in our morning services, looking at folk from the Old Testament whose faith in God at times was flawed. And today we're looking at David. <coughs> Excuse me. If this was a soap opera, perhaps Middle East Enders, the narrative of what happens in the cave at En Gedi would end just as David is coming up behind Saul, dagger in hand. And suddenly it would cut, and then we'd get the... And we'd have to wait until the next episode to find out, is David really going to kill him? Or is something else going to happen? Now, we know, of course, that that's not what happened. But let's think for a moment about what's happened up to this point. And to do that, we have to back up a little historically. So, before this was the era of the judges, men and women raised up by God for a short period of time to help the people get back on track. And finally, God's people decided that they wanted to be like all of the other nations around and have their own king, a permanent king. God's plan was that he would be king, but they didn't want that. And so, in the end, Saul was anointed as king of Israel. He started well. He defended the nation against Philistines, who were constantly attacking the nation. But then he started to lose his way, and God brought David into the picture, the one he wanted to take over from Saul in due course. This is around the time when the boy David defeats Goliath with his sling and his stones. And after that victory, Saul took David into his court and he was part of the royal household. And as he grew up, he became the leader of the king's armies and he was really successful. And the problem was that David became, became quite popular. In fact, he became more popular than the king. And that made Saul jealous. Maybe he also had some mental health problems, but he decided he was going to kill David, and David had to run for his life, with Paul in hot pursuit. It's kind of a game of, game of cat and mouse, which leads us to the moment when David and his men are hiding in the back of this cave as Saul comes in to, as one very poor translation puts it, use the bathroom. This could be the moment, as his men thought, when David had the opportunity to get rid of Saul, take the throne for himself. I wonder if that thought was in his mind as he sneaked up behind Saul with his knife in his hand. But instead, he cut the corner off Saul's robe and let Saul leave safely. And then once he was outside came out and told him what he had done. Now, I want us to look at three things from David's life here. Two come from this encounter. One comes from later on in his life. The first thing to think about is that God invites us to follow in the way that he leads and that we shouldn't try and take shortcuts. David had been anointed as Israel's next He knew that was what God had for him. 
And he'd lived with that knowledge throughout his life to this point. And he knew it could only happen once Saul was dead. How tempting would it have been for David, the soldier, to have killed Saul when he had him at his mercy? What would we have done in that situation? Most of us couldn't contemplate killing another person, but David was a soldier. He knew all about this. To try and get my head around it, I suddenly had a thought. What if, close-ish parallel, the soldiers who found Osama bin Laden had actually let him go? It was kind of that level of, really? I wonder, just as an aside, whether had they done so, that would have led to more world peace or less. Linked to this passage are Psalms 57 and 142. They both have the same subtitle, that they were written while David was in the cave, this cave. And it's a fair assumption they were written before Saul came in to answer the call of nature, because David speaks of how he's being pursued and threatened, how his life is in danger. And yet, in those circumstances, in his prayerful songs, David is asking that God would listen to him, and he acknowledges that God is in control. He wasn't going to take a shortcut or manipulate the circumstances because he was trusting God. He realised that Saul was still God's anointed king. It was not his place to usurp him. David wasn't going to lead a rebellion. He was running for his life to avoid a confrontation with Saul. And I think that's probably why he was so upset with himself after he'd cut the bit of Saul's cloak off because he'd almost perhaps given in to that temptation. And even just cutting the king's cloak like that could have been seen as an act of treason. Maybe David did it because he wanted to show Saul how he was different, how merciful he was. It's tempting to do that, isn't it? To let someone know how thoughtful or kind we've been when they may not have realised Just a little ostentatious humility. But Jesus spoke about how when we let someone know that we've done something nice for them, or kind, or merciful, then we've got all the reward we deserve, a a short-term pat on the back. Rather than if we allow it to be just between us and God, then it's a sign that God's Spirit is transforming us, and that long-term transformation is our reward. I wonder whether we're tempted to take shortcuts with God. As individuals, or or maybe even as a church, other times when a shortcut presents itself and we think, oh, well, I could do that. It's an opportunity. And we act opportunistically. I wonder, for example, are there times when Someone has been pushed into deciding to make a commitment to Jesus by a well-meaning Christian friend when they weren't actually ready. 
I wonder if that's what Jesus had in mind in the parable of the sower. We looked at it in the summer, didn't we? Some seeds sprang up in shallow ground and the heat made them wither. They didn't have deep roots. Maybe if people had waited, that person's faith in Jesus would have been more fruitful. In our church meetings and in our elders' meetings, we've been saying that what we want to be able to say at the end of those meetings is it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. There are times when it might seem good to us, but we need to be sure it also seemed good to the Holy Spirit. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at faith, particularly with Abraham and Sarah, and the idea that faith is reason in a courageous mood. You have to work some things out, not just go diving straight in, but then take a step of faith when you're sure that is what God is wanting you to do. But it can be frustrating because that can take time and sometimes we want instant replies. So how do we know that it's God's way? It's a fair question. It's an important question. It's one David had to try and explain to his men who thought he should have killed Saul in the cave. First thing is, well, he wasn't going to contradict God's plan. God is consistent. It's one of the things that enables us to grow in our relationship with him. We know that he's the same today as he was at the beginning of the universe, and he'll be the same right through till beyond the end of time. It was God, this God, who had anointed Saul as king of Israel. He hadn't withdrawn that anointing despite Saul sometimes behaving in unkingly ways. And if David had acted on his own initiative at that moment, he might have found himself at odds with God's will, even if it did look like he was going to achieve God's longer-term purpose. In the Lord's Prayer, what do we pray? We pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that means that we sometimes need to be willing to let things go his way, even if we don't understand it, to try and make sure that we are in step with God. We don't contradict his plans. So for David in the cave, I wonder if he wrestled and thought, is God the sort of God who would want us to seek revenge or personal glory? Or is he the God of love and compassion. And that's the God who's portrayed in the Bible. The second thing we can do to test things is to make sure that what we have in mind is in line with the Bible. We have a massive advantage over David because we do have our Bibles, whether it's a written one or on our phone. Or we can read God's Word. Find out about a God who loves every single person. Find out what his character is like, how he wants us to live in a relationship with him as Father, Son and Spirit and with one another. And through the Bible, we discern God's overarching principles for life, that his love and his grace soften justice, that God wants everybody to be included in his kingdom, 
that he believes in us and is for us so much more than we could ever imagine. And even that his rules and regulations matter less to him than the relationship that God wants us to have with him. Another thing we can do is listen to other people. That's part of the benefit of being a church, that we can listen to God through and in one another. We can ask one another to pray for each other, ask other people's wisdom on our circumstances and situations. And when we gather together, we listen to God in and through one another. And all of that and much more beyond means that we trust that God is in control and then step out in faith. It's what David did. If he had killed Saul, it's quite possible that rather than him becoming a king who unites Israel, actually Israel would have fractured. Some people would have said, yay, David, and other people would say, yeah, but he assassinated the king. And you might have ended up with civil war, which actually happened a few generations later. We have to make a judgment about what we think. We weigh things up. We listen to God. We work out whether it's consistent with what he's saying. And then, believing that we've got it right, we step out in faith. And the wonderful thing is that even if we get it wrong, God is gracious and loving And if we come back to him and admit it, he'll gently show us how to follow him in the direction he's leading and forgive us. We can follow the way God leads. The second thing I want us to notice much more briefly, I promise, is that we can see people the way that God sees them. David had to work out, was this an opportunity for hurt or for healing, for revenge or reconciliation. What we know of God is that he is very much about healing and reconciliation. So when we're confronted with a situation where we have that sort of choice, we need to be honest with ourselves about our motives. What do we want? How do we respond? What will give us a sense of satisfaction in the short term, but not actually repair a relationship longer term. Revenge will escalate a situation. Reconciliation brings hope and peace. David saw Saul as God's king, his anointed king, not a mortal enemy. And a really good prayer to pray, when we're in a situation where Other people are involved and we're not quite sure what the right thing to do about them is, is to pray, God, help me to see them as you see them. Maybe you could write their name down and write down around them on that piece of paper the sorts of things that God sees in that person. Or maybe a a photograph and you could do the same to remind you how God sees that person. And then pray, Lord, give me the same attitude towards them. Even those who are opposed to us, to seek to be able one day to love and forgive. It's not easy, it may not be instant, it may be a long process, but it starts with 
Show me how you see them, Lord. And then help me to see them the same way. David saw Saul not as someone he wanted to destroy, but someone actually he wanted to be able to honour. Did you notice when he came out of the cave and he called out to Saul, he bowed down, he actually laid flat on the ground as a sign of respect. He showed respect to, Paul in the, to Saul in the language he used, even though Saul hadn't acted in a way that deserved it. And that's a gospel principle, isn't it? The New Testament is full of ways that we relate to one another, and one of them is honour one another. In Romans 12, that principle is extended, I think, to anybody and everybody we meet. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Try and see people the way that God sees them. The third thing, and this comes from another part of David's life, is to keep our focus on God. Initially, in this moment, David's focus was on God, as we see in those Psalms. He nearly stepped over the line. He regretted cutting the corner of Saul's robe. But his focus was on God, and so that kept him in check. But sadly, that didn't last. As I said earlier on, we're looking at people who had flaws in their faith. And later in David, he showed a serious flaw when he took his focus from God. He had been the most successful king in Israel's history. But in 2 Samuel chapter 11, we see him acting selfishly, having become self-reliant because he was so successful. He should have been out leading his army but instead he was lazing on the perilous roof and then became something of a voyeur as he watched a woman taking a bath. That led him to commit adultery, to get her pregnant, and then the lies just tumbled on top of one another until ultimately he arranged for her husband to be killed in battle. This was a moment when David did take matters into his own hands having taken his focus off God, and it had a terrible outcome for him, and consequences that actually reverberated down through the rest of his reign and beyond, and ultimately is the root of the nation of Israel fracturing. After all of this had happened, David received a visit from a prophet called Nathan. And Nathan revealed to him from God how he had committed all of these crimes and how he was fooling himself to think anything else. And then the astonishing thing is God's grace extended to David again. Yes, he still had to deal with the consequences of his actions, but God forgave him. He restored him. Read Psalm 51 and read David's words after Nathan had sh shown him what had gone on. And you see the remorse that he calls out to God with. And then 
God's grace flows once again. And that's available to each one of us all the way. God's grace is for us. I'm going to close our service uh, with one more hymn in a moment. But first, I'm going to invite you just to sit where you are and to pray. Ask God what he said to you this morning. Ask his spirit to touch your life. Whether there is a relationship that needs reconciliation and you need God's help with it. Whether you need his perspective on a troubling problem that you're wrestling with. What is God saying to you this morning?